This is episode 89 with Lynn Thomas. So the goal is not to keep a client or an employee just one year or two or three or four. It's like, what's my strategy to keep them for seven years? Because once you keep them for seven years, maybe it's human inertia. After that period of time, we just yeah, like- It's affordable. Yeah, it's like, and, and you can raise prices. So a first year client leaves, they see you lost money for them because to acquire them. A seven year client leaves, the acquisition you've already recovered, but you lose the additional amount that they're willing to pay because they're less price sensitive. You're losing the referral possibilities. You're losing the additional uh, things that they'll buy, really the positive word of mouth advertising and their relationship with employees. Welcome to the Drive to Succeed podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Drive to Succeed podcast. If it's your first time tuning in today, my name is Daniel, the host of the show, This podcast exists to bring you new knowledge, wisdom, and truth in the world of entrepreneurship and self-development. Hey everyone, I hope you're well. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode with Robert Riopel. There's a lot of episodes that I believe that you should be going back from time to time just to kind of remind you those golden nuggets, those lessons that our guests shared. Because one of the purpose of this podcast is not just to give you information, but to provide you an evergreen content where you can just go back and make this podcast as a source of resource in your entrepreneurial journey or your self-development. Today's guest is the Chief Executive Officer of Thomas Consulting. She's well known as COVID re-engagement and resiliency expert, culminates from cultivating transformative leaders and covering people's slice of genius. And in this episode, we talk about the impact of COVID in businesses in the U.S. and around the globe. How can organizations attract, retain, delight, and well back their new and existing clients? The cost of not investing in employee engagement during the pandemic and how to increase customer lifetime value and many more. And now, let's welcome Lynn Thomas. If you're an entrepreneur, a coach, or consultant, and you'd like to learn how to attract your dream clients, learn to present and influence your audience, whether you're doing an online webinar or speaking in public, get your audience engaged and empowered by sharing your personal story, I'm about to give you, the Drive to Succeed community, a free access on my new video-on-demand online course, The Art of Storytelling. All you have to do is go to the website at thedrivetosucceed.com forward slash storytelling. Again, the website is thedrivetosucceed.com forward slash storytelling. Click on enroll now and get your free access today. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here with you. So Lynn, for our first time listener who hasn't known you and just hearing your name for the first time, can you give us a little bit intro who is Lynn Thomas? Um, well, the work I do now with my own firm and been doing for the past 30 years is helping companies, um, organizations find innovative and creative ways to wow and delight their clients so they stay a long time around client retention. And usually that is, and very much now during with COVID, it's very focused on the development of the employees, how you can tap in. I and mean, we all have this massive untapped potential inside of us. And I go by um, Pixar, which has um, an assumption there's a slice of genius in each person. And I like to think, well, there's more than maybe one. But um, so I'm really good at helping people tap into potential they didn't know they had and then to use those new skills and to come up with really innovative and different ways of um, you know, changing processes in the company, whatever way to ultimately delight the client. Because when the clients stay and they bring referrals, then uh, profits go up 
and everybody wins. And for me, it's employees win because they feel like they're valued and have meaning and cared about. Uh, clients win because they feel the same, they're valued they care, and they're cared about. And shareholders win and they invested money to get the organization going and they get their return. So I'm really into creating the win-win-win. And that's when I worked at Arthur Anderson as a tax attorney years ago, Danielle, and afterwards the Bank of Boston, sort of the dark underbelly of corporate America. And at least with the Bank of Boston, I really, they did not care about their employees. And we had, I was working with a division where they had 1,800 people going through a large reorganization and two people had heart attacks. One died and one was on disability. And I went into the head of the, the division and I said, you know, I have a program where they'll come in and teach everybody about stress because this was years ago. Stress was not that well understood. And he said, no. And I said, no, no, it's 500 for everybody. And he said, no, I said, I'll pay it. And he said, no. And I mean, I turned around and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And I was like, I don't want my good efforts and my skills to be used to support an organization that really doesn't care. And they don't care that I know that they don't care. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's out there. So it's like, okay. So I left the next day, I resigned and uh, gave my notice essence and um, then started my own firm. Oh, when you started your firm, this was like 30 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I assume there's a lot of case studies, obviously big companies that you work with, as well as small ones. But I'm just curious. So when you come in as a consultant with a company, so what's the first process look like? Especially when you mentioned COVID, there's a hybrid approach in terms of like in-person and remote workforce. So how do you maintain that win-win-win on three parts if they're not seeing their employees FaceTime? So with COVID, my first conversation is, so what decisions have you made with reopening the business? And have they made those? I hope they're not, they're, they're flexible because that's really the best way to be. And especially now with the, the Delta variant, not knowing how big of a role that's going to play. And what are you requiring people to be vaccinated or not? And can people choose to come in or not? Or do they have to come in you know, a few days a week? Does it depend on their role? Like maybe salespeople need to be in and maybe customer service people don't? I don't know. So I first want to know where are the employees, how do they decide if they have, and I can help them with that, which I think, and what I would encourage companies, anybody listening is don't rush into anything, you know, don't proclaim this is what we're doing because it took a lot of people for myself. I think most of us, we didn't realize how, what we were dealing with and how devastating it would be and how long. So some people say, well, I'll just you know, snap out of COVID. It's like, people aren't going to snap out. You know, it, it, it was a process to really grasp it. It's a process coming out. And there's also feelings of a lot of it. There's sadness, there's grief, there's loss, which usually in the workplace, we don't talk about those things. So they're new conversations. I like to think of you know, somebody in management being the chief comforter, you know, and a lot of people think it's really odd. It's like, well, COVID is the first ever that we've had. That's, you know, worldwide has just credible levels of, of, of loss on many, many levels. And even your routine of come, going home from work, new transition there. And now I think COVID has forever changed the relationship between work, employers, and employees. And then I would really talk to a certain, depending on the size of the company, a certain segment of the employees in different areas and ask them, you know, how's whatever's going on? How's it working for you? What did you learn during COVID? What did you like? What didn't you like? What would you like to bring forth? And I'm one that likes as many perspectives as possible. Yep. Um, I think the more perspectives, the closer I would get to being um, accurate, in, in my, my perception. And, and a bit of that comes from being um, an attorney is that 
I know there could be 10 witnesses to a car accident and there's 10 different perspectives and they're all true. Like nobody's lying. It's just, we really see through different lenses. We see the world through really different lenses. And you know, people can see even this a podcast and have very different experiences of it. And I don't think there's anybody who's right or wrong. It's just that their, their experience. And so then I, then I think of if they look back three years from now and they want to think that working with me was you know, a turning point for the company, what is it they want to see? And I also offer a guarantee of 100 to 300% return on their investment within wow. a year or we would fund it. And people say, well, how can you do that? And it's like, I'm a tax attorney. Okay, I know what improvements are for the bottom line and which ones don't. So, you know, that gives me an advantage over other people. And um, we, I, we've been offering that for 16 years and never had to um, refund the money. But um, the point is for me, you're making an investment in your employees. Um, and coming out of COVID, a lot of people are anxious about the future, uncertain. Nobody knows. So really offering developmental programs, having them, um, you know, if they want time off to take a course, if they want a sabbatical, if they want to travel for a month, I mean, unless if they're critical, it's like COVID has been devastating to so many people. And know that the better you treat people, the better you, and you really listen to them and genuinely care about them and their families. The more you do that, the more you'll have an employee for life. And there's nothing more precious and have an employee who works with you because they really love working with you. Maybe if it's a small organization as a human being, if it's a large organization with their department, with the company, you know, if we spend so many hours, you might as well love what you do or get some purpose and meaning with millennials and Gen Z's want. So if basically that make an assessment, come back, say, you know, this is what they say. This is what you guys want. What do you want? And then I'll come up with a plan. I always run it by management, get their input and then start working. But we take things from assessment to implementation. Um, don't just leave them with a report because I did that in my earlier careers and there were nice reports up on the um, <laughs> bookshelf that they didn't implement. And it's like, we, we do follow through with implementation. And, and I assume also retention is like the very key important. You, you leave like um, processes so they can retain because <laughs> obviously it's a behavioral change, right? No matter what the position is. It is behavioral change. And that's where I find inspiration is really important. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of the Stockdale paradox. And it was, it was talking about the role of hope. And it was this Air Force who was shot down in Vietnam. And he was the most senior person among all the POs. And he was saying that the men who most likely didn't do well were the ones who were really optimistic. Oh, by Christmas, we'll be, we'll be out or by Easter. And he always said something like, I know it's going to turn out well, but there'll be difficult times between now and then. And that sort of bounded optimism. And that's what I really want people to find for their organization, departments, maybe for themselves. To be real optimistic and say, you know, COVID's going to disappear soon and blah, blah, blah. And it's not going to be a problem. And our clients are going to come back. Just everything's going to be the way it was before. That's not even realistic. And we don't know what it's like. But to say, we're going to be in this together. You know, we're going to work together to to delight you guys, to delight employees and make sure our shareholders get a, a, a good return. And we're all in this together, you know, because we are, we're all in this together globally. So, so retention, the overarching reason I do what I do is to retain clients and employees. It's now more employees because of COVID yeah. um, and I used to do a lot more with clients, but there's a correlation between those. If a lot of employees leave, clients will leave because, you know, it's like the example I give is, if every time you and I went to the dentist, there was a new hygienist and he or she was even better than the previous one, but 
every six months there was somebody new. After a while, you'd just be like, I just don't feel comfortable. Something's not right. Because we're loyal by nature. I mean, I know you and I didn't wake up this morning and say, we can't wait for you know, our doctor, our dentist, or where we get our car repaired to make a big mess up so I can replace them. And if anything, we're hoping and praying nothing happens. So your clients, it's four to five negative events they need to leave. And that's why it's real important, especially during COVID, if you haven't already, but now I'm moving forward, staying in probably closer contact than you usually have with your clients um, to make sure they're happy because their needs have changed over COVID. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I always believe that any type of businesses, right, your employees are your assets. And if you run a business, it always comes in with selling not just your product, but selling your vision for the company. And how do those employees embody those vision and execute it, right? You mentioned also about, I think, about customer service and customer lifetime value. Can you just unpack that a little bit for us? And how is it important, especially right now, because businesses transform, right? And we, we can take it in, in a lot of ways. Um, but as you know, as, as in your practice, how do you, you could say, make sure that the customer service is still there? And how can you increase the customer lifetime value even during the pandemic? It always starts with, there's four stages of a client retention. So it starts with attracting them, retaining them, delighting them. And then if they leave, wowing them back. And I think many organizations, once clients leave, they don't stay in contact with them. And so you want to track them. You want to do things to retain them. If they leave, you want to win them back. So it's, it's three prongs, but four, four, four stages. And in each of those stages, during the acquisition or the attraction, how can you get them excited or tell them in advance what's going to be happening? You know, banks used to do this really well when they would say, you know, six months down the line, we're going to send you a welcome aboard package. And it's like onboarding with employees now. How do you do it remotely? Well, there's steps. And it's about building the excitement and it's about letting them know little bits of information, not sending them a lot. And similar with uh, customers, what do you need now? What do you need a month from now? Maybe it's the same, not. So catering to them as much as you can. And if you're a large organization, that's probably a little bit more restrictive. But I always want you looking at the 20% of your clients that generate 80% of your revenue. Because those are the clients... 80% of your referrals for the next five years will come from those clients. And those are statistics that we have working with our clients. So they're the ones, I'm not saying at all, ignore the others. Yeah. But if you want to protect your future, identify the 20% that generate 80% of your revenue, really hone in and focus exactly what they want and give it to them. They only want three or four things. You know, we don't go to where we go to a restaurant, you know, for 20 reasons. It's three or four things. An example I can give is that um, when I was working at Bank of Boston, they came back with they wanted us to be more professional. So as a private banker, I thought, okay, that meant being out of the client's place of business. And um, my colleague, Carol, thought it was being back in the office. And Carl, who was updating his ties from a small print to big print. So we were at a meeting and I said, Carl, you know, you changed your ties. And he said, well, we have to look like we're current. We're up to date. We're not you know, we're, we're that I go, and he said, that's professional. And I said, oh, wow. I thought professional was being out with the clients. And Kyle said, I thought it was being here. We looked at each other and said, what did they mean? So we'll, when we do market research and we can do that, um, ask them. So if they say professional, what does that mean? And it may be, well, they get back to me within, you know, two hours um, if something's really important. And if they don't know the answer, they'll tell me when they know the answer, but they don't leave me hanging. Okay. What else is important? 
Well, they have access to people who can get the answer um, and that they have training and some businesses, they have credentials. So I know I'm working with someone that has, been, has experience or they've been around for through a few business cycles or years. So for different people, it wound up professional is really different. And if you don't probe underneath that, you're getting these words, I want them friendly. What does friendly look like over Zoom? What does friendly look like on the phone? What does friendly look like in person? You know, it, it's all different. And for some people, friendly is just asking me, you know, questions because some people are real introverts and they don't want to have to talk constantly and respect those differences. And uh, so you really need, you know, I work with an insurance company helping their customer service people and I give them immediate feedback because I'd be listening in and they love that. And 90% of what they do, 95% is, is spot on. I mean, they're like perfect. But there's like this one hesitation I'll hear in the client's voice when they say, is there anything else I could do? And the client will go, no, that's okay. Is there something you really want to ask me? Or you just, I just want to make sure. And that takes time. And if you're not trained to really listen to maybe what the person's not saying and maybe what they don't want to say, like there's what they say, what they don't want to say, and when maybe they don't know how to say. So just encourage them to talk and make that real human connection. We're all starved now, really, the human connection. And um, that's the best thing that anybody can do now with their employees or their clients is really to connect with them and make it a human, meaningful connection. And you may even say to people, clients, you know, so really, how's COVID with you? And this would be somebody you know for a period of time. How's your family? How's it impacted you? And not talk about business because we've all been impacted so differently. And that may be really a key way to keep them knowing that their needs may have changed because our COVID impacted them. Maybe the priorities have changed. And and it's, it's being willing to have difficult conversations um, a lot that, you know, that they sometimes people don't want to ask employees, like, you know, how are you really doing? It's like, well, that's, I mean, how are you doing or how are you is, is just, that's like saying hello. You know, that, that's, you don't get. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean anything. And so, you know, it's like saying to someone, so Joe, how are you doing? Oh, we're fine. It's like, yeah, well, underneath that, fine. You know, walk me through what were the key things with you and your family over the past, you know, 16 months, whatever it's been. And said, you know, I really care. And then be quiet and let Joe talk and thank him for talking and saying anything else because I really care. And you have to be genuine about it. If you're trying to fake it, please don't even try to fake it because I think we all have BS meters um, really well. We can tell when someone's BSing us. And so if you don't genuinely care about the employees and clients, I'd say maybe find somebody else to make the calls, get educated how to feel that, or just be yourself and, yeah, I think also it's it's really important. That's why uh, you know companies should should ask for a third party's help, because most companies operate with not this in mind, right? Because like you mentioned earlier before we start recording, like a company's mission is to to make you know money, right? <laughs> um, doesn't care about employees, doesn't care about you know the well being, but focus on the the hard numbers. As a tax attorney yourself, you know this pretty much. Um, that's why I think it's also important to like think on the big picture about the mental well-being because if an employee is happy inside that company, he or she will stay longer. And if you train that employee, that ROI with that one person can 3x or 10x, you know, the investment. There's always a saying that if you don't train your employees and they fail, you know, like what's the point, right? 
Let me just, I, I want to follow up one, one thing you asked me that I, I didn't answer. So the lifetime value of a client or an employee, there's only 2% of us that leave any organization after we've been with them seven years, unless something major happens. So the goal that I say to clients is you want clients and employees to stay for at least seven years. And I don't know what, but the research always shows after seven years, very few people leave. So the goal is not to keep a client or an employee just one year or two or three or four. It's like, what's my strategy to keep them for seven years? Because once you keep them for seven years, maybe it's human inertia. After that period of time, we just yeah, like- affordable. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and, and you can raise prices. So a first year client leaves, basically you lost money for them because to acquire them. A seven year client leaves, the acquisition you've already recovered but you lose the additional amount that they're willing to pay because they're less price sensitive. You're losing the referral possibilities. You're losing the additional uh, things that they'll buy, really the positive word of mouth advertising and their relationship with, with employees. So as a new client comes on, it's more costly to serve that new client because he or she doesn't know how it all works. So the longer you keep clients or employees, you know, it's a 5% increase in client retention rates go up, will impact profits 25 to 95% over two to three years. And the best kept secret, how to have a profitable long-term company. The key thing I find though, is since there's no financials, you know, that's a retention and you've got to work with a few different ones. There's no numbers. Um, there's nobody in charge of it. So if you put someone in charge of retention. But is it in the job of HR to, to find ways to, to retain those talents? I'd like to think so, but I don't think HR would agree. Um, so I think it comes down to somewhere, someone on the C-level has to be in charge of keeping, let's say, just start with clients. You want to keep clients for seven years. And how are we doing? And what are the, what are the behavioral steps with the strategy? How are we implementing that? Are we getting feedback? Is it some surveys? Are we doing phone calls, following up? Because just because people leave doesn't mean they're happy. You know, even people who are highly satisfied they're very satisfied will leave. So it's because... only when you get them because somebody gives them a better offer. It sounds like a better offer. When they get over there, the grass is not green, but it sounds better. Because if you've ignored them and you've not interacted with them for a couple of years, they're like, well, Sam over here is talking to me a lot. You know, Sam's promised me XYZ and I've not heard from you. You know, when I talk to former clients of clients, it's like, I haven't heard from them. It's been three or four years, haven't heard. It's like, well, you're one of their most important clients. Like, if they treat everybody the way they treat me, I can see why they have a problem. You know, it's like you've got to establish relationships with clients and employees, those connections, those links. And it's like making sure you do them. If it's not done person to person, which many organizations cannot, then you can email them. But you have a you have a strategy in a program where you constantly contact them and give them something meaningful. Um, and then maybe once a year, twice a year, somebody contacts them. And then for some very large organizations and large companies, somebody in senior management has to call them twice a year. And if they're not happy, they'll hear about it and then senior management will tell go down. So sometimes getting that level involved makes a lot of sense. So it depends on the size, the industry, but you've got to be conscious of creating lasting relationships because they're phenomenally profitable. They're easier. I mean, wouldn't everybody love to just have your best clients, just a clients, you know, that they love you, they give you referrals, they want to give you all their business. You know, I've had a few clients who are like that with employees and clients, and it's like life is easy because I'm just focused on this 20%, not trying to serve everybody. Yeah. So so if you focus on your on your top customers and 
you know everything is is good right um would it at some point as as the business owner or you know as the entrepreneur would it come to a point where you become bored and you might not you know not be as excited as the way it used to be because there's no more challenge oh there's a challenge because clients needs and employees needs always are changing and evolving they're not static so the businesses that i know where they're dealing with the top percent of the clients they're not bored because the clients keep challenging them i mean if you talk about private banking that i was in private banking has the creme de la creme I don't think anybody would say, no, I'm really bored. You know, my clients have a few billion dollars to spend. I don't know where to tell them. And it's like, no, there's lots of opportunities and getting really creative in starting to do really different things or investing in different ways if it's, if it's in private banking. But I think the idea of there's always challenge and it's always, you know, I'm thinking of an insurance agency I work with in upstate New York and he only wanted eight clients and he only wanted eight employees. And he was willing to pay. He paid more than anybody else. But he, he, he tracked revenue. And this is one way you can do it. It's revenue per employee and revenue per client. So revenue per employee goes up. That's productivity. And it's better quality clients. But if revenue per client's not going up, you're getting lower quality clients. Your clients are not bringing in as much revenue. So he was adamant. He said, it's not an option for a client to leave. That's just not an option. We will do anything legal to keep, and clients didn't even say that. Okay, you're a top client. Our premise, and he tells us right up front, you will not leave us once you start working with us because we will do everything to make your experience as effortless, seamless, easy, and enjoyable. So we create great relationships. You know, if you're somebody, you don't want us to call you, we're not going to work out well because we, he looks upon as putting deposits in accounts and then there's withdrawals. And if, if his organization not putting deposits in, he said, at some point, those withdrawals, they're going to leave. So there's a very help develop with it, him concerted effort to always making deposits, what's meaningful to that client. And it could be, I mean, there's, you know, depending on the kids that they have and where they are in their life um, personally, and then where the business is and what are the goals of the business and you know, do they want to sell the business at some point? Is it a family business? Is it, you know, a large organization? You know, there's always questions. So I've never heard of a, um, a wealthy entrepreneur who says, I'm bored. Um, and, and I'd say if they are, this is my other challenge, because I don't think they would be. I have a yeah. friend of mine, Scott Jones, who yeah. invented voicemail. Mm. And, and he truly did. And um, I always tell clients the way we can see new opportunities is to do things uncomfortable. So everybody has to do two things uncomfortable every day. And Tom Peters said it best many, many years ago. And he said, you know, if you go to work the same way every day, you eat with the same people, you go to the same stores, you drive home the same way, you sit down with your family at dinner, you may go out in the evening or not, or TV. And what you do on the weekends isn't the same. He says, where the heck are you supposed to get new ideas? And I remember thinking, he's got a point, you know, because we'll reinforce our confirmation bias. So he said, when I go to the airport, I don't pick up the same magazines that I know things about. I pick up magazines I don't know anything about. What most of you do is pick up magazines you know something about that just reinforces what you already believe. He says, mix it up. Go home a different way. Put your shoes on a different way. Do, do anything different because it'll throw, we go down in our brain. We have something called neuronal pathways. Yeah. And there are grooves in our brain. And we only have seven minutes of unique thoughts in a day. Seven minutes. Wow. The rest of the time, we're just scooting down these neural pathways. 
which are habituated action gurus that we've, we've been down them. There's nothing new, you know? So <laughs> you're an autopilot. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and autopilot's great when you're doing things like every day you get in the car and you're looking at your keys, you go, what am I supposed to do with these? Oh, that's right. Ignition. Okay. Then what am I supposed to do? Oh, you know, so it's good for things like that. But if you're trying to come up with something different and something um, like voicemail. So my friend Scott took it to a whole another limit where he comes up with 10 things uncomfortable every day. So, so he gets a patent about every two years and people say, that's a lot of things uncomfortable. I said, well, how many of you guys have patents? And nobody's hand goes up. And I said, and maybe you don't want them, but he doesn't need coffee in the morning or orange juice. You know, he's jazzed. It's like, what am I going to do today? You know, and he also does something else. And I do it twice a week. It's great discipline. Whatever, when he wakes up, whatever his biggest personal or professional problem is, he comes up with 20 solutions. And this was like a revolutionary idea for me. Because I said to him, Scott, why 20? I mean, you know, that's, people are lucky if they have one. He goes, oh my gosh, when people have one solution, he goes, they're dangerous. You know, you get one solution, it's like the hammer always looks like, everything looks like a nail. And he said, the first five are ordinary and boring. He said, everybody will think of that. And he said, even the first 10, yeah. He said, once you get to like 13, 14, 15, then you're combining like little number three, number eight, number 11. And then you realize how creative you are. And I started doing that. And I didn't think of myself as a creative person. And I challenge your audience and, and yourself. You know, next time you have something that's pressing, personal, professional, come up with 20 solutions. And sometimes Scott will come up with 50. Wow. Because we were never taught in school to come up with multiple solutions. So we come up with one. We go, great, I got an idea. Let's like, do it. Okay, <laughs> that's one. Let's keep going. So I, I, with my clients, I say, you have to at least have 10 options. So you're somewhere in the vicinity. I hope you have more. Because then you can look at some and say, you know, this one doesn't fit. It's a great idea, but it doesn't fit. This one yeah, is maybe. This one we could, we could implement, but it would take a lot of, it would take too much time. Hmm. So then you can go through and choose as opposed to have one and be stuck with it. And then it really doesn't fit. So you have to... Push it in as opposed to having maybe you have four different ways you implement one idea depending on your clients or depending on employees. Yeah. So please, multiple options, especially with COVID. You know, we need any plans A through Z, you know, just for the future because nobody knows where we're going. So I, I use him um, as an example of somebody who really um, gets to our creativity. And I really blame it on, I don't blame the right word, but schools, our education was. They never said, okay, come up with 20 solutions because then our, we would be more focused on doing that. And it's much more freeing. It's much more liberating. It also forces us to be creative. People say, well, you're not creative. I go, no, you are. You have massively untapped potential. Mm. You know, 2% of our brain we use on an average day, 5% on a day when you get a headache. Einstein, men of the century, 12%. I mean, because nobody's shown us how to do it. You know, it's like, you know, there's the story of Roger Bannister in 1954 when he broke the four minute mile. And within three months, 30 people did it. So if you have two circles, inside the circle is the possible world. And there's this big other world of the impossible. And we don't even try the impossible because it's impossible. <laughs> and then someone like Roger Bannister does that. And then people go, oh, I can do a four minute mile and not die. Great. And then they do it. So how much of our life, how many things can we do that we don't even try because nobody has shown us? Like, how do you use 50% of your brain? I don't know. But I, I'm quite sure in the next 10, 15 years, people will be, will be able to use more 
of our brain. Now, some people say, Lynn, we use more than 2%. Consciously, we use 2%. There's all the reptilian parts of us breathing and all that. No, I don't have to think about that. But actually pushing ourselves to go and go deep into your being. I mean, we all have incredible talents, you know, and I'm really good at bringing those out of people, inspiring people to dig deeper because we all want to blossom. I think we all want to get back to the world and be all we can be. And unless you have, I guess, an organization or a culture where they want people, like with Pixar, we spoke about, you know, there's a, a slice of genius in each person. And I think there's more than one, but at least each person, and maybe, maybe that's part of the vision that we want our employees to uncover their genius. And that's part of the responsibility of the employers to give them the opportunities. And again, customer and employee loyalty and retention is interrelated. So when you improve one, the other one goes up also. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, that is, that is brilliant. Actually, the last 15, 20 minutes was like super, super valuable for our audience because that that could resonate as well to different types of entrepreneurs, whatever you know um, industry they are in. Um, I also believe that I don't know if you know James Altucher. He has um, he's also a podcaster, but previous VC, um, he has this practice where he writes down ten ideas a day. And try to implement one at least in a week or something like that, you know. And I think um, coming from that writing ideas, it also comes to a point where you need to experiment a lot of things, because only when you experiment, you're gonna you're gonna you know tap in, like you mentioned, that those impossible thing that you might you know think that it's it's possible. So and also, Lean, I know we're almost uh, towards the end of the show. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your journey. There's a lot of actionable steps in here as well. But for our audience, where can they find your work? How can they get in touch with you and know more about, you know, how you can maybe support them in their business? So I'm on LinkedIn, Lynn Thomas. My company is Thomas Consulting. So if you want to contact me through email, just Lynn Thomas at Thomas Consulting. And at the end of consulting is wins, W-I-N-S, because the client said, I always win with you. And the name <laughs> Thomas Consulting was taken. So thomasconsultingwins.com. Yeah. And if some people want to call, I'm fine with that. And we're in Newton, Massachusetts, 781-899-4210. I want to say one other thing. Sure. Um, that I grew up with a very critical father and a critical older sister. So I had a very overdeveloped critic in my head. And one of the keys to success, I really believe, is managing that critic. And what I suggest to people is, well, who is the teacher or the coach that you worked hardest for that really appreciated you and have that person replace the critic. It's not an easy thing, but replace the critic with that person. And when you have uh, people need to get feedback because we're all blind spots and I had many of them and um, I'm sure I still do. Um, and so you, people need to hear feedback to really grow. And if you can say something to somebody kind, call me, I'm really good. People have said to me, Lynn, you can tell anybody and make it sound nice. So there's no reason to hit somebody with a two by four. That's not, that's, that's not kind in this world, especially after COVID, we really need to be kind to each other. That doesn't mean you become a people please or anything. You know, there's being aggressive, assertive, and passive. And I think people know usually passive and, and aggressive. Aggressive doesn't work. Passive doesn't work. Being assertive, stating your needs, living your life big, which doesn't mean running over people but doing it in a kind way and being of service to people. So I just want to get that kind point in and the, and the, and the critic, because some people say to this critic and it's like, it, we need to manage our inner critic. And the most successful people I know manage their critic and they celebrate their wins every day, as opposed to most of us 
It's like, oh gosh, I can't believe I said blah, blah, blah. I should have said this. And it's like, <laughs> hey, 98% of what we do is great. Let's focus on that. Understood. So one of my questions before I end the show is that if everything is a strip away from you, right? So you got to start all over again. What would be your main drive to succeed? I would say bottom line, care about customers and employees. Because 68% of clients leave because somebody acted different. And 56 to 63% of employees leave because of the relationship with their boss. So if you don't have a good relationship, that takes care of about two thirds of the problem why people leave. And then have really care about people and have one-to-one -one conversations and asking them how they're doing. So those would be sort of the core concepts going forward. If you were to start from the beginning. Understood. Once again, thank you so much for your time, Lynn. Bye for now. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. If you're an entrepreneur, a coach or consultant, and you'd like to learn how to attract your dream clients, Learn to present and influence your audience, whether you're doing an online webinar or speaking in public. Get your audience engaged and empowered by sharing your personal story. I'm about to give you, the Drive to Succeed community, a free access on my new video-on-demand online course, The Art of Storytelling. All you have to do is go to the website at thedrivetosucceed.com forward slash storytelling. Again, the website is thedrivetosucceed.com forward slash storytelling. Click on enroll now and get your free access today.